welcome into the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs, an exclusive home of Cubs Check. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. Tony Andraki here with Andy Martinez. And Andy, we're going to break down all of the Cubs roster moves over the last week or so. We haven't done a podcast since some of these moves came out. Uh, obviously, in that time, too, they had the uh, Wilson Contreras. They extended him a qualifying offer. He has now rejected that. So Wilson Contreras is hitting the open market. Jason Hayward, a move that was long expected, has also been released. So two other guys from the World Series team are gone. Leaves just Kyle Hendricks right now on the roster. Obviously, David Ross as manager as well. But your reaction first, just to, to Wilson kind of having some finality there. And then, you know, obviously Hayward, the move, we knew it was coming. Yeah, the the Wilson Contreras move kind of felt like a formality. We we knew since the moment he wasn't traded at the, at the deadline that the qualifying offer was going to be extended. We knew very likely Wilson Contreras was going to decline it. He would want the long-term stability of, of a long-term contract. The Cubs have stated what their intentions are in the catching position, and that's defense first, game calling first, game planning first, something that they're very proud of what Jan Gomes does in that aspect, helping the young pitchers. And we saw it in the second half of the season how valuable he was when someone like a Hayden Wesneski is coming up, when a Javier Assad's coming up, that he's able to you know kind of guide them through mm-hmm. that those tough moments of them making their, their debut. That's kind of what they're looking for in the catcher position. And that's what I think they'll be looking in free agency to expand so that it's just not Jan Gomes and P.J. Higgins. Yeah, definitely look for the Cubs to be acquiring a veteran catcher at some point this winter, most likely in free agency. There's a few names out there that are interesting, Omar Narvaez and Christian Vasquez, who was traded you know, to the Astros at the deadline instead of Wilson Contreras, yep. which was a rumor that you had found out at GM meetings that it was a possibility uh, of Wilson going to the Astros. We had heard that, and then it was confirmed that that was actually a, a potential rumor out there, right? Yeah, the sources confirmed that that was, you know, it was so far along that the coaching staff was aware that the deal was in place for Jose Urquidy from the Houston Astros. Obviously, that fell through, uh, and and Wilson Contreras finished, finished out the rest of the year with the Cubs. Yeah, and, you know, I think, too, just getting another veteran catcher to pair with Jan Gomes, yeah. just because it's a guy that's going to be 35, 36 years old. So you never know if there's going to be an injury, and the Cubs just – want to avoid that revolving door that we saw in 2021 behind yep. their starting catcher. You also don't want to put too much on Jan Gomes' plate at more, you know, a little bit more of an advanced age. And I don't know, I, I should have looked this up before, but I don't know exactly the last time that he played over 100 games in a season. I think it's been a little bit now too. So you don't want to wear him down. And then P.J. Higgins as well as the backup right now. Uh, he certainly can play other positions. He performed pretty well, especially when he first came up. Um, but I think they want more depth, especially considering that Miguel Amaya, the depth that they have in the 40-man roster, the prospect coming up, I don't even know if we'll see him in the big leagues next yeah. year because he still has a lot of development to get to, and he just hasn't been able to play with you know, the UCL injury, getting Tommy John on his arm, and then a Liz Frank injury that has kept him out for the last couple of months of, of this season as well. Yeah, that's the, and that's the thing, is too, with, with the catching position. It's so thin that... You're going to have a lot of young arms coming up. You know, Wesneski, for as great as he looked when he was up here, he wasn't up with the Cubs for a very long time. So it's going to be important that you have someone, that veteran presence, whether it's Jan Gomes or whether it's another backup catcher like we mentioned, that can provide that stability, that can provide that, you know, comfort when you're in these tough moments that you've never been in, in a tough stretch in the big leagues where maybe things aren't going your way or maybe you don't feel 100%, but your catcher notices something about what you're doing with your game and can call certain pitches. You want that behind the plate to help you ease that that tough time. 
Yeah, and our uh, research department confirmed that 2021 was the last time that Jan Gomes uh, played over 100 games in a season. So I was I wrong. Kurt, it Kurt was... Suzuki was hurt that year for the Nationals, if I remember correctly, before he got traded to the uh, A's, okay. maybe? Confirmed. Our yeah. research department confirms okay, that. Cool. Um, yeah, no. So either way, I mean, you don't want to tax Gomes too much. You want to right. have more depth. And, and, you know, if something did happen to Gomes or Higgins, you want to have another option out there and, and not, you know, force Amaya along. Right. Um, the Hayward news, I don't think there's really too much to talk about there. No. We, we knew it was coming. Um, they, it, I thought it was kind of classy in the part of the Cubs that they gave him his own day. They made yeah. a bunch of moves, which we will get to later in the podcast, but they gave Hayward his own day. They granted yeah. him his release. I think what's interesting now is to see where he goes. I've, I've long felt that like he's a maybe like the, the Orioles, I'm sorry, would be like a perfect fit for him. And this is just my opinion completely, but I just think like, you know, be a fourth outfielder, help a team that's like that has a lot of young talent and learn how to win and bring that that playoff and championship pedigree there. I think that would make a lot of sense for him. But I am curious to see what what the next chapter holds for Hayward. I think after he's done playing, I think we'll see him back with the Cubs in some capacity as a coach or front office assistant or something. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think the Orioles make a ton of sense for Jason Hayward. I think across town, the White Sox make some sense, too, just sure. given the veteran leadership that he could provide to a, a team that underperformed last season. You know, I think there's a lot of interesting options that Jason Hayward could sign with. Most likely will probably be some sort of minor league option, but it'll be in, or excuse me, minor league contract. But it'll be really interesting to see where he goes, because I think there's still a ton he can provide from a leadership standpoint, from a behind the scenes standpoint, a clubhouse standpoint that a young team that's trying to win will find very valuable. Yeah, and you know, also <clears throat> along these roster moves, the Cubs, right before the 40-man deadline was set in place earlier this week, they made a trade with the Rays. It was more of a minor move. They gave up a single-A pitcher, and they got Miles Mastroboni. First time I'm saying that out loud correctly, so yes. that's good. Uh, Mastroboni is the guy they got in return. He just turned 27 on Halloween, fun fact. Uh, but he's a left-handed hitting utility player. He performed very well in AAA last year for the Rays. He hit 300, 377 on base, 846 OPS, add some power, you know, 16 homers, 32 doubles, and then, you know, 23 stolen bases as well. So this is a guy that has a nice blend of skills, can play all over the field, and I think gives the Cubs some flexibility because he also has minor league options, which I think is probably the number one factor in his favor i'd say right now yeah we talked in great detail about the cubs 40-man roster crunch heading into the offseason and, and how many tough decisions they had to make the rays were you know probably double that they, yeah. they had just as many 40-man roster questions for themselves miles masterboni i thought made a ton of sense for for the cubs like you said he provides a lot of options it was really interesting to see the power he added this year in triple a up until this past season, I don't think he had had a season in the minor leagues where he had hit double-digit in home runs. This year he hit 16, like you mentioned. He can play all over. And what I thought was most important was he's a left-handed bat, which yeah. is just something the Cubs don't have a lot of. That's another option that gives David, that David Ross has in his back pocket that will help him out. And you mentioned the Zach McKinstry. He's, he's out of options. If, he, if something goes wrong and they need, they need someone to option, Miles Mastrobani has that op- opportunity and I think it just provides so much for the Cubs' flexibility roster-wise on the field. It, it makes a ton of sense for them. Yeah, you know, I think I think it does have a potentially direct correlation or, or impact on Zach McKinstry. You know, McKinstry not having options mm-hmm. is a factor for sure. Uh, the Cubs did obviously acquire him from the Dodgers at the trade deadline for Chris Martin, not the lead singer of Coldplay, but the pitcher. <laughs> and uh, they ended up, you know, getting like – 
I guess, okay performance. You know, yeah. I think McKinstry would be the first to tell you that he can do more, especially a guy who hit over 330 in AAA in the season prior to, yeah. to coming up to the big leagues, prior to being traded as well. But um, I think the Cubs are going to give him a little bit more leash to see what he can do with with it for sure. So maybe we'll see a guy like Master Boney start next year in the minors. Um, but yeah, you know, if McKinstry doesn't perform the way that he thinks he can or the Cubs think he can, then Master Boney is a direct replacement for him. Or maybe, like you said, just another left-handed bat because they yeah. have a ton of righties right now. Let's say they go out and sign one of those top shortstops. Those are all right-handed hitters. Yep. You know, a lot of the the players on the free agent market are right-handed hitters as well. Uh, so I, I think that the, it, it provides them some flexibility. It's a guy that can play second and third a bunch in the corner outfield spots, can probably dabble at shortstop. I don't think he's played any center field, at least not for any long period of time. No. Uh, but that's the one opening I feel like that the Cubs would have some, some room for a guy like him. But at the very least, like, I think we can see the potential for a platoon down the line at third base or at second base or something like that, providing just another left-handed bat. And then, like you said, we'll see, too, if, if the power is real and if yeah. it comes back again next year. Yeah, and in Zach, going back to Zach McCrenshaw, talk about a really tough year for him. Struggles a little bit with the Dodgers, then gets traded, then's not playing regularly with the Cubs. It's it's tough to get into a group. So I, th- I think he hit like 206 with the Cubs after hitting 091 with the Dodgers. It's tough to find yourself a groove, and I think the Cubs want to give him a little, little longer leash, as you mentioned, because it's still too early to judge you know, what he can be. We've mm-hmm. seen the flashes in AAA. We've seen his versatility. There's There still could be a ton of value there. He just hasn't gotten enough looks to, to be able to correctly determine whether or not it's, it's the value is worth keeping or not. Yeah, and you know, at the moment, as we're talking about this, I think the Cubs have a clear opening at first base. So yeah. right now, you know, Patrick Wisdom might be the opening day first baseman. I don't think that will be the case. I think right. we might see another signing. But if but opening they, day was tomorrow, you sure. have to pencil in Patrick Wisdom at first base most likely. Sure. So then that leaves the option for Mastroboni or McKinstry at, at third base yeah. or maybe at second, you know, especially given that uh, Nick Madrigal has suffered health issues over the last few years right. and has not played over 100 games in a season. I don't even need our research department to look that up because <laughs> I know that for a fact. So, uh, you know, I, I think that that it's definitely an interesting move. It has the potential to be a very interesting move down the line. I guess we'll see. But it's probably a little bit more for the future, not necessarily opening day and certainly not the most intriguing move that the Cubs will make this winter. Right. Uh, that being said, ahead of that 40-man roster deadline, we were talking about this crunch all year. We've been talking for the last couple of months. It was a big deal. Jed Hoyer, Carter Hawkins have been making it you know, a big deal. And just talking about it, there were so many players in this organization that are eligible for the Rule 5 draft this winter. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a Rule 5 draft during the lockout. You know, even before that was the pandemic. So it was a difficult season after the 2020 campaign with no minor league season to yeah. draft Rule 5. So this is kind of the first big Rule 5 draft in like three years, really in Marquis history for right. sure. Yeah. Um, but to see the Cubs only add four when they had somewhere around 30 players eligible for that Rule 5 draft. It was a little curious in some ways, but even with the four players they added, Brendan Davis, Kevin Alcantara, Ben Brown, Ryan Jensen. I think the first three are no-brainers. And then Ryan Jensen makes a lot of sense. He was their first-round pick a few years ago as well. Even with that, though, and the acquisition of Master Boney, they still have 38 on their 40-man roster, and that's before any other offseason moves. So, like, there's still a crunch coming. Right. There's there. I was very fascinated because I thought there was somewhere between six to eight guys that they could protect, and that would have, if you know, if had it been that eight, then you would have had to clear more roster spaces. But when I heard four, I was like, oh, there's a few guys that have been left off. 
Ryan Jensen was very interesting because he was the first round pick and because he did spend time on the developmental list this, this year and went back to Arizona to work on some things and, and came back. I think it made a ton of sense to protect him. You don't want to go through all that development time. You don't want to spend all that time, you know, trying to get this guy right and, and making a first round pick and potentially lose him in a few months in the rule five draft. I think adding him after thinking about it at the time, I'm, I was kind of with you. I thought it was a little bit of a surprise, but the other three made a ton of sense. Kevin Alcantara might've been, you know, when we look back at it with Pete Carr Armstrong, might could be the best prospect they acquired sure. from the 2021 draft. He's really, really highly touted. Trade deadline. Or trade deadline, sorry, yep. yep. Did really, really well in Myrtle Beach this past season. I think there's real potential that he could be a really good player. Brandon Davis, easily the Cubs' top prospect, made sense to add him. And Ben Brown is a guy the Cubs are really high on as a starter. They acquired him in the David Robertson trade. The, to me, the four guys they added made a ton of sense and, and – are really no-brainers to, to lock up and protect from the Rule 5 draft. Yeah, and, you know, among the other guys that didn't make it, as we talked about, outfielder Darius Hill, who was just up at that, like, development camp at Wrigley Field here towards the end of the season, the final homestand we saw. Um, you know, he's a left-handed hitting outfielder. We brought up in State of the Cubs before as well as yeah. a guy that, that could be an option. He also might be an option later down the road. I, I mean, I guess we'll see, too, if he is protected or not. He had a very nice season hitting over 300 yeah. at AAA. Um, right-handed pitcher Luis Devers, who was the organization's minor league pitcher of the year, uh, was one of them as well. And then infielder Chase Strumpf, I think they headline the list. You know, uh, relief pitcher Danny's Correa, who can dial it up to triple digits as well, was uh, was an interesting one. And I know there's a guy on the list here that you were talking with, our Lance Brasdowski, who could potentially actually be drafting the Rule 5 and the Cubs end up losing him this year. Yeah, winter. I was talking with Lance, and he mentioned Cam Sanders, the guy who has a lot of electric stuff. His control is the issue with him. You know, there's a lot of things that he does really well, but he just doesn't, can't get in the zone all the time, which is expected from a young arm. There's a chance maybe a, a, another team, someone that is really highly clinic or analytically inclined, like the Milwaukee Brewers or the Tampa Bay Rays, teams like that, that are really good at developing pitchers and kind of turning those no name pitchers into guys that could take a risk on him on the Real 5 draft. The, the tough thing with the Real 5 draft is you have to keep them up mm. for the full season. There's no optioning of them. You're keeping them on your big league roster from day one until the last day of the season. It's a, that's a tough ask for a young pitcher who's never been in the big leagues. It would it would be interesting to see if someone does take a risk on Cam Sanders, but that was the most intriguing name that, that Lance brought up to me. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I think there's definitely a possibility that one of the guys on this list, other guys include Riley Thompson, Johendrick Pinago, the right-handed pitcher and outfielder, um, and a bunch of other names that other teams may end up opting for. And then also, I think, like we said, the Cubs 40-man sits at 38. So December 7th, when the Rule 5 draft comes out, maybe we see the Cubs take an outfielder, for example. Yeah. Like, uh, there are several outfielders I know that, that were surprises across the league that were available left unprotected so it should be a very interesting rule five draft season i guess so to speak yeah. so over the next three weeks or so uh we'll probably hear some stuff and i wouldn't be surprised if the cubs take you know a potential bullpen arm or a potential like center fielder at least a defensive minded center fielder as well and then i wouldn't be surprised if they lose you know upwards of two to three guys from this list as well i think when it came down to it the cubs just understood they couldn't end up keeping everybody well for sure there's no way they can yeah. keep everybody but also just prioritizing the guys that they really felt they needed to keep the guys with that with a higher ceiling higher upside and then realizing that like they don't want to get to a point later in the offseason where they sign a free agent and they have to cut somebody else from their roster mm -hmm. so no matter what at some point they're going to have to cut somebody else 
down the line too. And we don't know exactly who that is. Maybe it's a guy like Rafael Ortega or something else that we'll see. Um, but yeah, I think for now, this makes a lot of sense what the Cubs did. And you look at the names with the exception of Alcantara, all three of those guys could potentially be playing at Wrigley Field sure. at some point in 2023. So it's not like they were saying, we got to protect this guy because in three years he's going to be playing here at Wrigley Field. No, Brendan Davis, if he's healthy, can definitely play in 2023. Ben Brown, if he's healthy and continues progressing, he pitched well in double-A, could theoretically pitch for the Cubs in 2023. Mm-hmm. Ryan Jensen's long been, maybe not long, but has been seen as potential eighth to not, seventh to eighth inning guy. We could see him at Wrigley Field in 2023. There's, there's, It wasn't a thing of we got to worry about 2025 or 2026. No, it was these guys can not only need to be protected, but can also theoretically help the team in 2023. Yeah, too, and I think the other aspect with Ben Brown is, like, you just acquired him, like yeah. you said. A few months ago in the David Robertson deal, you don't want to lose him right. and essentially recoup nothing from that Robertson deal. And and I think Brown would have been a guy that would have headlined that list of Rule 5 yeah, draft so. selections for sure. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to break down some of the other roster moves that have happened, uh, talk about Dustin Kelly, the new hitting coach who Andy had a chance to speak with the other day, and then uh, leave on a little positive note, a little tease for free agency and what we're expecting here so stay tuned we're gonna hear a word from our sponsor real quick get your win trust exclusive debit card get your cubs card Ooh, i'll take one how much actually they pay you three hundred dollars you heard right get a three hundred dollar bonus when you open a cubs checking account with win trust enjoy all perks and purchase with pride every time with your win trust cubs debit card get your exclusive card at win trust com slash cubs only $100 required to open no monthly minimum balance and no monthly maintenance fees member fdic and equal housing lender all right we're back here on the cubs weekly podcast andy martinez tony and here and we're gonna talk about all the guys that were outrighted so we we mentioned earlier in the podcast cubs had to cut a lot of guys already just to even get to this point had to add some guys before the roster deadline earlier this week uh they outrighted quite a few and some were surprises some were not surprises the full list Fran Mule Reyes, outrighted to the minors, David Bodie, Alec Mills, Jared Young, Esteban Quiroz, Stephen Brault, Brad Wick, Anderson Espinosa, Narciso Crook. Who were you most surprised by? I think it was easy to say Fran Mule Reyes. I yeah. mean, this is a guy that David Ross in late September mentioned. There were some things that they had seen that he was going to work on in the offseason that would kind of unlock that 2019 Fran Mule Reyes that hit 39 home runs. That was a little bit of a shocker to me. I mean, we knew it was a possibility given just how he ended the season where it wasn't how he started. When he started, I believe it was like five or seven games that he had in a row with an extra base hit. Then it kind of, you knew that wasn't sustainable, but it also cooled off way more than I think he or the Cubs predicted. Yeah, and I mean, this is a guy that has hit 37 homers in a season, also hit 30 just a couple years ago, or two years ago, 2021 season as well. So he does have a lot of power. I mean, even prior to coming to 2022, he had a 260 career batting average yeah. too. So it wasn't like he was, you know, a two, hovering around the 200 mark or anything like that. So, uh, you know, big right-handed hitter, great clubhouse guy. Like yeah. they raved about his attitude, his demeanor in there. You know, a big clubhouse favorite for sure among the coaching staff as well. And, you know, Andy Green, the Cubs bench coach, Johnny Washington, assistant hitting coach, they had um, a prior relationship with yeah. Fernando Reyes from the, from the Dodgers organization, Padres organization, et cetera, um, as well. So, like, I think, you know, and Carter Hawkins knew a lot about Fernando Reyes from being in the Cleveland front office, too. So, um, there's definitely a familiarity there, but at the same time, like you said, his play down the stretch, 
limited the options, I think, a bit. You know, he, he just struggled all season. He's due for a raise in arbitration, just the way the, the process works out. He would probably be due somewhere around 5 or $6 million next year for a guy that has no positional versatility. He played, I think, one game with the Cubs in the outfield. He's big, but he's never played first base, so, like, you can't just stick him there. And they have right field locked up with Seo Suzuki. He's not a center fielder. Left field's locked up with Ian Happ. So he's a DH-only guy that you're paying 5 or $6 million for, when there's a bunch of those guys available and you have a guy like Matt Mervis coming up who maybe you want a DH here or there or whatever. You just want more freedom at the DH spot. So it was surprising only because of, like you said, David Ross was so um, so complimentary of Fran Mel Reyes and thinking that he can get back to the player he is. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Cubs end up reaching some sort of minor league deal, invite to camp or something like that with Reyes this winter if he doesn't find something else out. Uh, you know, out there as a big league deal. But yeah, other, overall, I don't think this was a major shock. And I think it, it frees the Cubs up to do a bunch of different things this winter. Yeah, that, that's the other thing too, is just the lack of versatility was a real issue. When we've heard David Ross talk about the DH position, as somewhere where he likes to rotate guys, whether that's Matt Mervis later on in 2023, or whether it's, hey, Patrick Wisdom's played five straight days on the field. Yeah. Let's, get him, let's get him off his feet a little bit. Let's play him there. So and so has a hot bat, but we don't. We can't get him on the field today. Let's have him DH. When you have a Fran Mill race, that kind of limits. It, it it actually diminishes the versatility that he has, and it extends it to everyone else because you eliminate one roster spot that some that someone can have at the DH position. So that that was also uh, made it less surprising when you think about just how David Ross has looked at the DH position. But like you mentioned, he was a great clubhouse guy. I remember mm-hmm. at the Field of Dreams game, I think he had been out on the team for less than a week at that point. Yeah. And seeing him with Nelson Velasquez and Christopher Merle, you would have thought they were together for six years. It was just it was just an instant connection. He, they were always together in the clubhouse. He was kind of the big brother to those guys. I mean, He's a good it, singer. He was a good singer. Yeah, yeah good. Yeah, Nelson Velasquez's dancing complimented it. I mean, it was it was just, just a good fit overall from a clubhouse standpoint, but just the production wasn't there towards the end. Yeah, and, and I think back to your point, too, about the DH is – it gives the Cubs more op- options from the left-handed aspect. That yeah. we're, you know, Zach McKinstry, Mestroboni, uh, Rafael Ortega even played a bunch of DH before Fran Mel Reyes got there. I think it frees the Cubs up to possibly get another left-handed bat in there, mm-hmm. whether that is Matt Mervis or not. You know, I guess we'll see. But um, either way, just affords more flexibility overall. Um, but again, you know, we'll see. I don't think they're fully shutting the door on him. I think they were more so shutting the door on the fact that, like, this is not a guy that they want to pay 5 or $6 million to yeah. right now. Maybe a lesser deal. Maybe he goes somewhere else. I guess we'll see. You know, a, a couple of the others on this list, you know, not really a surprise overall. Brad Wick has performed really well, just really been struck by injuries. Yeah. You know, had the heart problem, uh, had a knee and hamstring issue in 2020. But then, you know, Tommy John. So he's going to be out until the middle of next year. This obviously made a ton of sense. You have to take 60-day IL players off the IL uh, and add them to your active roster, the 40-man roster during the offseason. That's just the way it works. That You can't end to like late spring training, uh, them back onto the 60-day. So it didn't really make sense to carry a 30, 31-year-old pitcher through that whole time. Unfortunate for Brad Wick. Maybe we, again, we, maybe we see him back. Some of these other guys we could see as well, but I think with David Bodie too, it just came down to a numbers game and the yeah. fact that they have a lot of right-handed hitter, you know, hitting uh, infielders, right-handed hitters in general, and then just you know they have a Christopher Morel who can back up or a Mastroboni who they acquired or Zach McKinstry. They have a lot of options that even though David Bodie's due about nine or ten million dollars over the next couple of years, this just 
kind of made sense right now. And David Bodie was never going to elect free agency like some of these other guys that were outright. Mm-hmm. Just because if he elected free agency, that nine or ten million is no longer guaranteed. Yeah. So it actually kind of create it, it actually kind of creates some depth for the Cubs in the sense that he, unless he gets traded or something, will likely start the year in Triple A. And then that's a, that's some more depth that the Cubs have. If he performs really well and someone goes down, that's a nice person mm-hmm. to have to be able to call up that has major league experience, that is that has had plenty of clutches throughout his career. It's it's actually a nice it's a nice situation for for the Cubs in the sense that it creates depth for them. Yeah, you know another guy, Alec Mills, threw a no hitter just over yeah. two years ago. Uh, unfortunate, you know, part of it too is just he just had so many injuries. He had yeah. a back injury, a quad injury. Uh, it, it sapped him from pitching for most of 2022 and he's out of options as well. Right. So like, he's not a guy they could send down. They need more flexibility and they need, they need those optionable arms, especially when you're talking about in the rotation or in the bullpen. And to be honest, I feel like he got replaced essentially by Adrian Sampson specifically among yeah. veterans, you know, right-handed pitchers who can do that swingman role. But then they have a bunch of those guys, you know, Javier Assad, Albert Alzelay, Keegan Thompson. They have a bunch of guys who could be long relievers or starters who either have options or ha- are younger and have a little bit more upside. So I, I think it was just another unfortunate situation where the writing was on the wall that Alec Mills would be in a position like this. Right, and and that's a kind of a good thing about the Cubs system right now is that they have so many young pitchers that they've called up. I mean, if you would have said a year ago that, hey, you're going to have a guy named Javier Assad come up and pitch meaningful innings and pitch them well, you would take that. You would have said, oh, homegrown guy that's going to come up and give me five innings yeah. and give me a shot to win. You'll take that. That's something that's kind of they're hoping is becoming the norm in terms of their pitching system. And we saw it late in 2022 that, yeah, this is actually possible. You don't have to go out and make those deals for someone like an Alec Mills to try and round out the depth, the final depth piece of your of your roster. Yeah, either way, I think, you know, a lot of these moves um, kind of just come back to the numbers game overall, as we talked about a bunch. Uh, one thing, uh, the Cubs did make a little bit of a surprising move in the coaching staff this offseason, yeah. letting go of Greg Brown, who was here for one year as the, as the hitting coach. He is potentially taking another role in the organization. Uh, but Dustin Kelly, he was he came up as you know minor league hitting coordinator, is now the Cubs hitting coach. But they've, they've shifted their entire hitting infrastructure yeah. around, and you had the opportunity to talk to Dustin Kelly. What were your main takeaways from that and how the Cubs envision that hitting infrastructure? We hear so much about the pitching infrastructure. How is the hitting infrastructure changing the organization? So hitting is very much about, what well, in coaching in general, the, the, the pitching coach, the hitting coach, the assistant hitting coach, the assistant pitching coach, on and on and on. It's all about relationships, and that's one thing that Dustin Kelly stresses. You know, it's about having relationships. Greg Brown was kind of behind the eight ball right from the second the, the 2022 season started. When, when the lockout was lifted, spring training started, he was finally able to have contact with these players, but he had four weeks of spring training to yeah. do it. Dustin Kelly has all this offseason. He'll have six weeks of spring training. Oh, and by the way, he's been in the organization for two years and has been at Major League Spring Training the last two years. With a guy like Matt Mervis in the minors and other, you know, a lot of these other guys. For morale, guys like that. He already has this relationship. That's huge for, for, for Dustin Kelly. That's huge for the young hitters. Greg Brown just unfortunately never was able to have that time to build that relationship. So now you're grinding through the season, trying to build the relationships. It wasn't easy to do. And the big thing, the other big takeaway I took from that was Dustin Kelly mentioned that they want the hitting department to be more, he called it a Swiss Army knife, where he might, he's not going to be the final say. He's not going to say, this is what we're doing and this is how we're going to do it. If Johnny Washington provides a player a way to do something, if P.P. Cabreja provides a guy to, how to do something, if Jim Adushi 
provides a guy uh, a way to do something. They're going to do that and they're going to implement it. They're going to have all these voices. Hey, maybe this coach responds to the way Johnny Washington talks to him about his swing path, or maybe he, he takes something from Jim Aducci from the scouting perspective of the guy they're facing next week. There's, there's all those elements that they want to pull from to make the hitter better. And that's, that was the biggest takeaway for me because hitting is so, it's so streaky that if you just think of one thing, or if you look at one voice, I don't think it's a, it's a path to success, but having those voices that can guide you with maybe one little thing here, maybe one little thing there, it'll help. And every guy's different. Some guys want to look at every single data point, every single analytical point. And some guys don't want to look at any of that. They just want to look at video. Having that, I think, will help the Cubs hitters overall in the long run. Yeah, and I think one guy, too, P.P. Cabreja, Juan Cabreja, he was promoted from staff assistant where he had spent the last few years with the Cubs to now assistant hitting coach. And I know he's a fan favorite, so to speak, of yours. You published a really nice story on him. So did you you tell him you're welcome or anything for helping to get him promoted? He he did thank me after the article, but I I reached out to him after after he was promoted, and he he was really excited about the opportunity. But again, that's a guy that the Latin guys naturally so yeah. really relate to because he can speak in, to them in Spanish. He told me you know, the, the biggest thing is he's able to dissect some of this information to some of these guys, or he can come up to a guy who, who's maybe on the bench and say, hey, it's the fourth inning. Hey, you might be coming in in two innings to face this guy. Let's go take some swings. Let's get, let's get the body warm. There's little things like that that he can provide that are, are crucial to, to having success for players. Which he did a lot, I know, with Christopher Morrell mm-hmm. during this season, Nelson Velasquez as well. So, like, talk about that relationship with young players. That's something that Cabreja has as well. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out, especially if the Cubs add potentially several new hitters this offseason, as yeah. we're kind of expecting them to. Um, speaking of that, we're, we want to leave our listeners and viewers here on a positive note. So, J.P. Perosi from MLB.com hopped on our Cubs 360 show earlier this week. And uh, he was asked just about the, the Cubs link in the shortstop market. And he brought up Carlos Correa and how he thinks that Correa really wants to make a big splash in free agency or just in general this winter. And he sees the Cubs and Wrigley Field and playing for you know, a franchise like the Cubs makes a lot of sense that, that he sees Correa wanting to make a big move like that. Uh, it was certainly positive, but let's hear from Morosi talking about that. We're talking about the big four. The shortstop position, right? This, this is time we get to spend some good money. And you, and you look at the north side and you look at the guys out there, Trey Turner, Xander Bogarts, Carlos Correa, uh, and I'm missing one, Dansby Swanson. Who you think better suited for this team to bring their talents to the north side? Carlos Correa, Cliff. I love Carlos Correa with the Chicago Cubs for a couple reasons. Number one, I think Carlos Correa, Carlos Correa loves them. Carlos Correa loves the fact that he had a great workout uh, there on on the north side for the draft. He's always had a special spot in his heart for the Chicago Cubs. And when you consider that and his desire to play for an iconic franchise, if you take the big picture here, he just saw his successor, Jeremy Pena, win the World Series MVP award playing his old position with his former team. Carlos Correa wants to do something big. We know this. He has been on the map, on the radar since he was a rookie. I I think for him, signing with an iconic franchise that plays in one of the great sports institutions of our country, like Wrigley Field, that's a statement. And to say this team that's been out of the playoff picture for a few years, we're getting back there, and I'm going to help us get there. That narrative to me speaks, I think, to the Cubs, to a lot of Cubs fans. I think it's what Correa wants to be in the spotlight again. And I don't see another team out there that needs him as much as the Cubs do and vice versa. I just love that pairing right now. 
I say go long on the shortstop to bring in Correa. That allows you to maybe go shorter a bit with potentially a Jose Abreu at first base or maybe a shorter-term starting pitcher. But take that big investment clip that you're talking about and go big, go long to bring in Carlos Correa. All right, that'll do it for this week's pod. Make sure you tune in next week. We have a special edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast with Ryan Dempster. He talks all things throughout his career, uh, Derek Lee stories, Greg Maddox stories, uh, talking about what it was like being around the team in 2016, what it was like in 2007 and 08 when the team made the playoffs but was unable to pick up victories and that it was just a really cool conversation overall it was awesome just to sit down with Dempster uh so definitely be be sure to tune in during Thanksgiving week for that special podcast this has been the Cubs weekly podcast presented by Wintrust don't forget to download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and check us out in video form on the Marquee Sports Network app and YouTube. I feel like I didn't say pod or podcast enough, so I just wanted to get it out there one pod, more time. Pod, pod, pod. pod. pod.